Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We're bringing the best and the brightest in the world, the business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today on the podcast is Connie Steele. Connie is the author of Building the Business of You, a system to align passion and growth potential through your own career mashup. I love career mashup. We'll get into that. She's also the co-founder of management consultancy Flywheel Associates, which provides both strategy and execution assistance to companies. Under Flywheel, she also hosts the Strategic Momentum Podcast, which her and I were just talking about offline. We're gonna we're gonna pump up the volume on that one. And before starting Fly, Flywheel, Connie gained over twenty years of experience working at Fortune five hundred companies like AOL, General Mills, and more. And by consulting with C-level executives, Connie has observed firsthand how business is no longer rigid and linear, but collaborative and fluid. Yes, absolutely. And her goal today is to help people understand their skills, talents, and interests in order to help them discover their portfolio, career, or super job. Super job. Jeez. So let's get to it. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's do this. Connie Steele, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So excited to be on the show. You are on the pause. So I, I love, <laughs> when I talk to fellow podcast hosts, there's magic in the chat before you hit record. You have to have a good conversation. You have to warm it up, right? It's like batting practice. Absolutely. You know, there's so much chemistry that also happens and you get kind of psyched up and ready to go. Exactly. You got to get the vibe. I mean, I've been on shows too where they're like, hey, Adam, welcome record. I'm like, whoa, you got to take me out to dinner first before you try to, <laughs> you know. But let's 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 hit the rewind button here. And I, I'm really trying in 2022 to get back to a lot of the roots of the show, which so many people find valuable are those early career insights. Right. So let's take it back. You've had you've been there. You've done that. General Mills, AOL Network Solutions. Um, take us back to the early days when when Connie was just a little rookie back in <laughs> back in in, in in corporate America. You know, what was you know, take us back to that first job. What was it? What was something like like you came out of school? You thought you knew something. You had like this notion of your head of what corporate America was going to be like. And then all of a sudden, right in the face, what happened? I was clueless, to be yeah. honest with you. So being a, a first generation Chinese American, uh, I didn't have anyone to help me understand what the real world of work was like. What I knew was something that was much more academic. And so all I knew was, you know, the traditional linear sequential career growth and development model, which was, you know, do well in school, mm -hmm. go to the best school that you can, which then should open up opportunities for you to work at great companies, build that pedigree. And then once you get into those jobs, you work up the food chain, right? And then all of a sudden you should reach certain levels, achieve financial wealth and so forth. And you should be happy. Get married, have kids, retire. Right. But, you know, <laughs> I'm like, well, how in the world do you exactly get there? Except for, okay, I know I need to go work at a company and do X, Y, and Z. But I got there and didn't understand anything about navigating the politics, didn't understand why certain people were moving up in certain ways. Mm -hmm. uh, all I knew was work hard and do my job. It's a meritocracy, right? 
No. I think we all realize that once we're in sort of that corporate environment, um, the idea of a pure meritocracy isn't necessarily true. No, so it's way. because of these different experiences that I had to figure out because I didn't have the network. I didn't have the knowledge. Uh, it was just really trial and error and having some positive and negative things that happened that made me realize, huh, I got to take control of my career a little bit more and figure things out. Yeah, you have. And, that, and that's a tough lesson. And I always tell folks like those first couple of jobs out of school or if you don't go to university, those first jobs in corporate America, professional America, that's really to teach you the lifestyle, the 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 understanding that these people, you know what, are not your friends. How do you interact in a professional environment? The people you work with, you may get friendly with them, but they're not your friends. I mean, I learned that the hard way, you know, I because I'm a very outgoing, you know, extroverted person and I chummied up with people and it turns out, you know what, that person could fire you, right? Like like that there, there, there's a balancing there and and it's really kind of tough. Um, was marketing and has marketing always been in your blood? Has it always been in your DNA? I didn't even know I wanted to do marketing originally. So what happened was, you know, growing up, uh, again, in a uh, Asian American family, mathematical sciences was an emphasis. So sadly of the stereotype, go to college, get a degree, some mathematical degree, and then you have to go to grad school. I'm like, what am I going to do? I have no idea, but I knew I had to pursue that path. So as I was approaching my junior year and then knowing I had to apply to grad school, I'm like, what am I going to do? I went to the library, true story, uh, looked at vocational books and trying to figure out what am I going to do with this degree? Uh, and fortunately I learned about marketing. And I loved it. I'm like, hey, wait, this That's actually makes sense. Uh, Not all super math, right? Well, the key thing is that I was getting a statistics mm. uh, degree and a math major at the same time. And I saw how you use numbers to understand consumer behavior. But just the broader mm. idea of, oh, how do you understand consumer behavior to create things, sell things, and then learn about marketing research? I'm like, hey, wait. This actually gets to leverage all the skills I have in a real world situation where right. hey, I love buying products. So that started the pathway to doing marketing research first. And then I realized, hey, I like the creative side. I'm not all left brain. I never was right. all left brain, but I was sort of forced that way. And you found your way into it. I did. Yeah. And, and when you could actually combine, when, when you fully understand as a marketer, and I really haven't talked marketing shop in a while here. I mean, I'm a marketer by trade. <laughs> yeah. When you understand, because I'm not a math person, but when you understand that quant informs qual and you really get your head around that and the data backs up your point of view. That's a big lesson that I learned probably midway through my career through one of my mentors that have a strong point of view and back it up with the data and the numbers and the facts. Absolutely. And when you put those things together, you're, you're indestructible. For me, it was always this, the why behind the what. Hmm. And once you understand all those facets of why somebody does what they do, why they believe what they believe, why they think the way that they do, it gives you so much context as to how to create the best products for them, how to promote the best products. I mean, that's a whole thing. It's getting that context. And the context is never one dimensional. You no. really have to look at all sides of a situation to get to that root cause. Yeah. And we're going to we're going to talk. I mean, you, you've left corporate America about 10 years ago, but I want to talk mm -hmm. about and your correct me if I'm wrong. Your, your last role was VP of marketing at Gridpoint, correct? Right. Right. So you're in right. a leadership opportunity there. And I want to talk about, you know, lessons learned in the leadership, specifically around like hiring. Like what was your approach when you were hiring folks? When you had someone in the interview process in front of you, what was kind of like your signature Connie Steele questions and approach? Every leader has their own. <sighs> Because you learn it through your interview. You learn it. Like I learned how to interview by the good and the bad interviews that I went through. And, and I, I learned how, and I think that's what made me a good recruiter. And I learned how to question people and dig in in a respectful and tactful way. I think one in particular was asking examples of what they did in incredibly difficult situations where you were trying to influence somebody to uh, 
influence somebody uh, based on a decision or approach that you wanted to make. And maybe they didn't agree with you, but what was your pathway? What was your approach to influencing their decision-making? Because uh, I want to see the thinking, right? So I had to, I sort of assumed at that point, you know, you've kind of checked the boxes on all of the skills that we had. But to me, it was the critical thinking and your approach and your communication skills. It was really important. I mean, the softer skills hmm. to me I these days, are even more important than the hard skills. The EQ. Because, mm -hmm. Yeah, EQ, because you have to get along with people. And if you don't know how to communicate effectively, then you're going to be at a disadvantage. And if you don't know how to actually work with people effectively, then you're in trouble. The tough part I always found was like, I was always a good interviewer, even maybe when my performance or ability wasn't there. And it was, I was able to charm my way through a lot of interviews. How did you suss out character? It's hard. I mean, listen, you're not going to someone's character in a 45 minute interview, but how, how do you kind of get that feeling, you know, or at least confidence before you hire somebody that they're right fit or right ad? That's a tough question in that, you know, there's never actually is never guaranteed. I would say that I would continue to ask probing questions. So it was one question to get an answer, but then mm. you try to cue off of that. Again, being the marketing researcher, starting off in that that career, right? You're like, hmm, why is that? And how did you approach it this way? So you're digging further and further and further just to see if storylines are consistent. Exactly. Thinking is also mm -hmm. consistent, but there's a pattern too. And if there is a genuine tenacity, um, you can sense that. If you know people well enough, you can tell if it's truthful genuine. or if this is uh, kind of a made up story because you can catch them. <laughs> Yeah, you you can, and we're not. And just to clarify here, we're not trying to catch people when we're interviewing them. But you could you could get a vibe, and you could also sense when someone's nervous. And it takes a lot of EQ for the interviewer, her yes. himself, to to have that self awareness of feeling people and not being defensive and all that too. So walk us through the time and decision process to leave corporate America and go out on your own. Well, at that last job, uh, I was part of the management team and working 70, 90 hour weeks. But it, the key thing is it was a very toxic situation for me in which I didn't have any balance. Uh, the environment wasn't one that was supportive in nature. And uh, it got to the point where there was a pivotal moment. Um, I had just had an interaction with uh, the CEO and it wasn't the best one. So I was at home stewing over it. Hmm. And I was with my son. He was five at the time. Um, and he looked at me, he goes, mommy, why do you look so angry? Because I was talking to myself and, you know, yeah, everybody has those moments. There. You play it back. You're frustrated. You're talking it out. Why didn't I say this? You're just not paying attention to how this looks to everyone else. And so my five-year-old was catching that and it hit me. I'm like, wow, you know what? I'm absolutely bringing this home. I know I have been, but it took my son to mention it to me. And at that point, I realized where I'm at is not where I want to be in the future. And uh, at that point... I decided, okay, you know what? I need to move on. But I didn't have anything else lined up. It was really this decision where it's it's incredibly difficult. And I don't know if this is where I want to be going forward because I wanted more flexibility. I wanted more control. I wanted to be a mom to my kids. And yeah, in that, that, right, in that corporate situation for many women, this is why you have a lot of women who've left corporate America as a they couldn't do it all. I realized I had to make a decision because just the way that What's I What's the most important thing in your life right now? Are you missing those valuable years with your kids, right? Like, like shit, I've been doing this for 20 years for what? Exactly. Why? Why am I burning myself out and missing these time with my my son and, and home and life and everything when I could do both? But not everyone can make that decision. There's certain other things that boxes that have to be checked. There has to be some levels of stability. There is risk. Right. When everyone says, oh, just quit your job and leave. I don't think that's great advice. I think there's a lot of caveats there. 
Absolutely. So when I made that decision, obviously it was talking over with my husband and, and having some plan, uh, he was consulting as well. So, mm. you know, that situation we had to decide, all right, should we do this? What's the risk? I was nervous about it. You know, not everybody just upped and quit. This is 10 years ago. That no. wasn't common, but given where I was, what I knew I needed to do for my own mental health, so to speak. Um, and we evaluated the situation. We thought this was going to be the best decision for us for us mm -hmm. right but it's a collective decision and you had to have some sort of plan i knew at that point i was going to pivot into doing independent consulting right it it's not that i was going to stop working i just had to figure out what would fit me best in this next work. phase and test and learn that similar to i know you you're like well what am i going to do after this and i don't have the answer right now but i'll I figure, figure it out what it could be exactly and, and we have that comment there of tenacity. so what advice would you so looking back on it now 10 years after what, what advice would you give somebody who's in a similar decision process based on maybe a mistake or a misnomer that you, that you thought about going out on your own and starting your own thing? Start lining up a network of people oh, yeah. to reach out to and create that plan of attack to tell them about where it is you want to be, but also have a thought, you know, you may not know exactly what it is, but get grounded in something that you could do in the near term and start reaching out to your network. Candidly, start connecting with people before you do it. So that it's not like out of the blue and like, wait, I haven't talked to you in five years. Like, what do you want? But really start to reach out to people where you can so that when you do, it is a much more genuine, authentic reach out. Uh, but but I'd say that was kind of the key thing. Hmm, I didn't know advice. how to network necessarily. I'd always, I've been extroverted. I love talking to people. Networking somewhat came naturally. But when you're networking Real for networking. yourself, very different than networking for a job. Oh, of, of course, right? There, there, there's a difference there. I mean, network, I mean, listen, I, I consider myself, I will never call myself a guru. I'll never call myself an expert. So it's tough, but I think I'm really, really good at networking. And I think that's a secret of, of my success. And I tell everyone, everyone asks me, how do you know this person? How'd you connect with that person? And it's about reaching out and, and adding value in a meaningful way. Like the, one of the things I hate the most is I get these random messages when someone says, how could I help you? Because what you're doing, in my opinion, I love to get your take on it. I think you're putting too much onus on, like if I said to Connie, hey, Connie, let me know how I could help you in any way. You're like, oh shit, now I got to think about how Adam could help me. I don't think I've ever had anyone come back to me and say, you know what? Let me tell you exactly how you could help me. Right. Very rare. Well, so you know, be specific, be specific. But, you know, when somebody does that reach out, how can I help you? I do find that to be not a common thing people even say. So I am um, encouraged by that. Right. The fact that you want. It's, yes, but it's still but it positive. Has to be, it has to be in the context. So when you are having an authentic conversation with someone, getting to know them, getting in that mindset of naturally delivering value because you're listening to the needs and the challenges that they're having and just providing suggestions. That's when you start to realize, hey, this person actually genuinely cares about supporting me in some way. And they're just doing it because they see a need. But right. when it's like, oh, let's have this conversation. Open yeah, ended. yeah, yeah. And, and how do I help you? You're like, ah, uh, I'm not really yeah. sure. And that's a, that's a big takeaway too. Like if, if you and I were having a networking chat right now and we're talking about your business or my business and I'm like, well, I hear in the context, Hey, hey, Connie, I know we were talking earlier and, and you mentioned that you're having problems with your with your podcast scheduling and batching. I actually have a course that I just put out. And I'm not looking to sell you the course, but I'd love I'm happy to give you 15, 20 minutes and talk through, you know, some of the issues that you have with scheduling and, and production. Would that be helpful to you? Absolutely. Like that's how you do it, right? Like you listen and then you provide actual value. Where did the name Flywheel Associates come from? Just curious. Jim, Jim Collins, good to great. That book.
flywheel effect. So as soon as I read that book, and this is when I was in corporate. It's the greatest so I good. Knew... That's mandatory reading. I have to dust that off. Absolutely. I think I have it on my shelf over here. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I read that book and I knew someday that that's going to be the name of a company that I start because that whole idea of the flywheel, right? You create momentum by starting small, but it's demonstrating to people that things are working. You know, in corporate, a lot of times you have these big initiatives. We're going to change the world. Let's do this. And so you get this mandate from leadership. And then everybody down below is like, okay, that's great. But I have oh. all these things I'm trying to do right now. I'm not yeah. really sure how I'm going to get to that. <laughs> how am uh, I supposed to do that, Jim? Exactly. But it's the cram down. And so mm. you're waiting for things to happen, but it's just sort of this communication. We're doing great. We're doing this. We're doing this. And you need to do this. But you're not really showing the demonstration that we're actually creating the traction. So it feels like smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. And then you never create that level of momentum you want. Exactly. But what people need to see is proof, ongoing proof that something's happening. Show it before talking about it. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Want a new podcast to look forward to each and every week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content. Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in their rotation. So there's a big chance you're not only listening to the podcast, and that's totally cool. In fact, I'd love to share a podcast to add to your list that's one of my personal favorites and is actually an inspiration to me as a host. The Jordan Harbinger Show is a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Jordan dives deep into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. His episodes on travels to North Korea are not to miss in some of my personal favorites. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode. And if you like the podcast, you're going to love The Jordan Harbinger Show, point blank. Jordan is smart, funny, and easy to listen to. You'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversations, a few laughs, and actionable advice that could directly improve your life. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I, and as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. So a big part of the approach of Flywheel is, uh, quote, bridge the gap between strategy and execution. So what, what does that look like exactly? And how's that different than other consultancies? A lot of it first, you know, we talked about this. Listen, understand, but look at all facets of an organization. So much of this isn't just being the subject matter expert in the field that you're in. So for me, marketing, but I have to understand who are the people that you have? What's the business that you're in? What's the industry that you have? Who's the audience? But literally understanding every single facet, because in order to create that traction, you have to see, wait, well, there's people that have to do it. There's processes that you need. There's the skill sets that happen. So just because you create a strategy for someone doesn't mean it ever happens. Yeah. A lot of times you got a lot of huge consulting firms, they give you this beautiful strategy beautiful. and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and then they give it to the team. And they're like, I don't there know what go. to do with it. Go for it. <laughs> no idea what to do with it because one, I don't have the people who have the knowledge to do it. Two, I don't understand the processes or the technology to make it happen. So the reality is that you can craft that, but if you don't understand how it actually is going to get done, who are the people are going to do it? You don't think through, oh, here's what you want to do. Can it actually be done? Let's work backwards and say what realistically can be done, map out the timeline and figure out, all right, what are those things that are feasible, right? What's practical? What's feasible? Then you can make the real progress. But if you assume, oh, here's this great big picture strategy, you're going to achieve that. That's not 
reality. It's not realistic. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Clouds and and I take something from from my mentor Gary Vee. It's clouds and dirt, right? Everyone's <laughs> up here in the clouds. Sometimes you got to get down in the dirt and execute and be in the trenches. Right? Exactly. That's, having you know, you know, having worked in technology for so long, and a lot of times you don't have all the resources. You have to sometimes operate like a startup all the time. So that's great. You have this big picture strategy, but nobody's ever done it before. Start moving. You constantly have to start moving plant a flag somewhere, see if it works. You're going to get information along the way. And then you iterate over time. And that was something that was just Iteration. innate um, way back when, when I started AOL, because nobody had a blueprint. You just had to do it. And you got really comfortable with ambiguity. But the mm -hmm. way you got clarity of ambiguity is start to think about where all the pieces of information you pull together, such that it creates a logical story, plant a flag, and then plant a build- flag. Build knowledge around it because the more knowledge you have, then you're like, oh, this makes sense. Pivot or continue, optimize, whatever it is, but be okay with this being an ongoing process of iteration evolution. Yeah, versions, versions of yourself, versions of your work. So let's switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about the book, The Business of You. And I love to ask authors, like, did you did you always have a plan to write a book? Did you always want to write a book? Did it come out of nowhere? No did someone say, someone, someone said, Connie, you have to write a book on this? No. Five years ago, if somebody asked me, oh, you're going to be an author? I'm like, are you kidding? Uh, all this came from my own podcast. After interviewing you know, 100 plus people on the podcast, but also interviewing 100 other people because I had the thesis that was really coming out of it, is that I was noticing that how people were looking at work, what they wanted out of work, how they were defining success mm -hmm. was evolving. And I got hooked because I had really listeners reaching out to me saying, Hey, this podcast was really helpful. Now, granted, I started in 2017. So mm -hmm. it wasn't the podcast space wasn't what it was like now. And I found it interesting because the audience that was reaching out to me wasn't my originally intended audience. And I was like, wait, why did you find it helpful? Like, well, you know, I use this for learning. Really? Where do you go for learning? Why do you use podcasts for learning? It was really fascinating. And that was a shift. That was kind of a sea change shift. So once I started getting that information, I wanted to know more. I'm like, why are people using podcasts? Where are you going to get your career advice? Where is there a gap? What aren't you getting? Why do you feel you struggle? And that continued because I've always been interested in understanding how the world of work is changing and had been studying it for 10 years before that, or just kind of an ongoing thing yeah. ever since I left my job. And and now you got to rewrite the whole book in the last two years. I mean, it's a whole new manual here. So, so let's. So, I want to dig into some of the concepts of the book, and I want to put it through the lens right now, a little bit different than when when you wrote it, right? Let's talk about creating a career mashup, which is the value of combining your skills, roles, and experience to reflect your whole self. What the heck does that mean? Well, a career mashup really is this whole idea of not necessarily being one thing and being defined by one thing. Let's look at you. You're not just one thing, right? So you are a podcaster. You are a consulting business owner, mm -hmm. uh, but you also, I'm sure, have been a speaker. You are a dad. You're all these things and all these things make you you. And so what was the sort of epiphany for me when I was coming up with this thesis is I was seeing that people just didn't want to showcase that they were just this one thing. Yeah, I'm not VP an accountant. Right, yeah. Exactly. You are so much more than that. And what you were also seeing that for people to feel like they could be their whole self, because nobody wanted to conform anymore. They're realizing, hey, you know what? I need to shift away from this conformist sort of mindset to really reflecting me. 
It had to be about me because then I could balance who I am. And so you see this actually on LinkedIn. If you've, if you've noticed how people's uh, titles and roles, it's like, mm-hmm. I am a speaker. I'm a designer. I'm an author. I'm a yeah, musician. Yeah, at first you kind of wince this. at that, but then you're like, wait, they are though because people are not one dimensional. Exactly. But another thing that's also been interesting is that you're seeing a lot of people do side hustles. They're realizing that, wait, I might have my primary job, but I want to explore these side hustles, whether or not it's for necessity because I need additional income or they're really pursuing other interests. And so you see this dynamic happening of portfolio careers, or what you're seeing is that you've had people who have taken very nonlinear journeys, sampling in all these different places Mm -hmm. because they're interested in breadth versus just depth. Mm -hmm. And then they're able to bring all these skills into a particular role that becomes this super job. Because as you probably know, in marketing today or in a lot of different uh, positions, the fact that you have not just the one thing that you're skilled at, but you can flex in a lot of different directions it, and you are a utility you, player, you're valuable. Yeah, instead of being just an intro mile. But the different schools, that, you know, there's different schools of thought there. Um, another concept I love in the book is the, the fluid future of work, right? Yeah. Like how the linear sequential path has transformed for today's professionals. And I think it goes back to what you're saying before is that we almost have to be a Swiss army knife. Absolutely. Like that we have to have multiple skills. We have to be able to, you know, jump into certain things, be adaptable, try new things and, and not just be, I'm just going to do this forever. Right. Well, as you know, the world of work is changing so fast. There are going to be brand new jobs. I wouldn't have ever anticipated. And those who are best positioned for those new jobs probably have had varied experience because they could see how all they how all of them come together. So there's this actually interesting example of somebody that I'd spoke to at this company where she said she was looking at different opportunities and it was at Spotify, I believe, um, and it had to do with um, bias. It's it's this role about artificial intelligence and how to address hmm. bias. And uh, there was uh, the, the name of the title of this kind of discipline is now escaping me, my apologies. But the fact is it is just a really fascinating role that if you didn't have... Uh, a background in machine learning, product management, statistics, also just sort of business management. And she did. She goes, wait, I could do that kind of role. And and she also has a passion for um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so this Hmm. role that had to deal with identifying just racial bias via technology, she's like, that's a fit for me. Hmm. But because of this varied experience, that's why she's a fit. But and she goes, you know what? Had I not done all the things, I could have never looked at that role being an opportunity for me. And this whole concept oh, algorithmic for- bias, that algorithmic, and, that's what it was. And, and this whole concept, talk about how it plays into the idea of future proofing yourself. Because we hear it a lot and I think it's kind of a buzzword, but how do we speak, speak about future proofing with this lens? Right. So to, to future proof with that lens, one of the things I talk about in the book is having a strategic plan. Something that actually you did too. When you when you first pivoted out, you're like, what am I going to do? I need to figure out some kind of plan to get there, right? So <laughs> what a lot of us have never been taught, unless you actually go into business or it's what you do for a living, you're not taught to create a strategic plan for yourself. But now in today's world of work, you have to look at yourself a bit as a business. We are all products and services on the web, whether we like it or not. As you know, you go online and you can find anything about anyone that you want. And that's how you're going to make a decision. Whether you it's not called stalking that. anymore. Let's just be very clear. That's not called stalking. It's called research, right? We're researching. Well, hey, yeah. LinkedIn is, uh, you know, the Amazon. Central. It's the Amazon for work, right? You go to LinkedIn to find out, hey, is that profile mm-hmm. something that you want to engage with or not? So if you have to craft that strategic plan for yourself, 
to map out where you want to be, just like a company. So to future-proof your career requires you to constantly have that plan, and that plan's going to be iteratively evolving. Of course. Everything's changing. Connie, what was the biggest lesson you learned about yourself from the process of writing the book? I had to get out of my own comfort zone and push past mm. my fear. So it's one of the things I talk about in the book is that so often the things that cause us the most anxiety, that causes us to avoid, it causes us to not move forward is our own fear of failure, fear of shame. Fear, we have anxiety in the process because we don't know what other people are going to think of us. We don't know if we're actually going to be able to create that traction. So you negotiate against yourself yeah, and you realize on. the only way to move forward is to just say, okay, am I catastrophizing the situation? Am I making it? a much bigger thing than it really is, that what's really the worst that can happen? Because we always assume the worst is going to happen. Of course we do. We always jump to that instead of saying, let me just take a shot at it and leap and the net shall appear. That's kind of like my mantra, my mindset that I've done the last five years of my life and my career is like, say, screw it. In fact, I don't have a plan B. I don't think about plan B. I don't think about a backup plan because the moment in my head that I start to think about it, I'm already admitting failure. And that took me a while to get to that point in my life where I always had a back. Well, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to go this. If this doesn't work out, I'm going to try that. I said, screw it. I'm just going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll figure it out at that time and at that moment. Um, let's switch gears again. I want to talk about the uh, Asian American Authors Book Club and why did you become a founding member? So much of this in the world that we're in now, as you know, there is uh, quite a bit of sort of negativity <laughs> that's happening in the world. And we saw that books could be a way to really create a, a more inclusive world by gaining the perspectives and insights and stories of authors who are really pouring their hearts and souls out. You know, the key thing is that a lot of us are just alike, no matter where we come from. And when you hear it from directly from the voices of these authors, then you can connect with them in a very different way. Mm. Uh, we had one, Chen Julie Wan, just incredible story of her being an undocumented immigrant. And you just realize so much of what she was talking about really does connect with us at every possible level. Uh, and you don't look at somebody for what race they are. You just look at them as a person. And so we're trying to just eliminate the biases that commonly exist because nobody wants to be looked at, oh, the first thing they do is just judge you by what you look like. No, not at all. I mean, it's, ter it's terribly difficult in this world. I think it's a great cause. Let's talk a little bit about millennials in the workforce. And it's funny because, you know, in recruiting, Millennials get a bad name. They really do. They're lazy, entitled, they're this or that. You know, my perspective is I have seen that, of course. And it's really kind of put me in this position where sometimes I feel like the old man in the room where I'm like, just because that wasn't me. Sometimes I'm like, shit, I'm not 22 years old again entering the workforce. And this wasn't <laughs> 22 years ago. And it's a different time. It's a different place. It's a different generation. And I've also seen millennials that have done incredible things and stepped up in leadership and just really shown it. Um, but what are the trends that, you know, that we're seeing around these millennials that are really shaping up to be the leaders of tomorrow? And by tomorrow, I mean literally tomorrow. Really, that theme is about being better, doing better, and, and really creating that force for good in the world, which yes, we've exactly. heard. But when, mm -hmm. so you, as you look at that, people need to understand mm -hmm. that there's a different way of going about doing it. They've grown up in a different world than, than many different have. Technology, different media, everything in their face is different. Exactly. It, so millennials and Gen Zs have grown up as digital natives and you've got four generations in the workplace. So why th one of the things I think is so important for people to understand is that with four generations in the workplace, mm -hmm. with millennials being the largest, uh, there's a sea change that's about to happen. So the oldest millennial is 40 or 41, depending on when you kind of look at the year cutoff. In 10 years, they're going to be taking over major leadership positions all over the board. So given that they are digital natives, Gen Z is obviously our digital natives, technology has really 
given them a different way of working, a different level of optionality. Also, they're they're looking to streamline things and make make uh, really the way we work more productive, better, more faster, efficient, stronger, better. Mm -hmm. Things will fundamentally change. Infrastructure will change. The way we go about working will fundamentally change. So for me, the future of work is very much rooted in a human level. It's not necessarily all about technology. To me, technology is stable stakes. So it's not about machine learning, AI, Bitcoin, crypto, so forth. And yes, it's also about DE&I. But really, at the end of the day, you have a huge change in the way people think and do. So when you fast forward that, and you've got those who are digital natives taking over, and they are all about trying to focus on doing good in the world and creating an impact in a very different way. And they're trying to align passion and purpose so they can reach their potential. You got to think of how you are as a leader of a company being able to draw on that. It is not the same way that you that you grew up in. I'm going to do work. I'm going to actually just work in this company for 20 years. Yeah, no, they that's need long, to conform to me. You can't expect gonna... them to conform. No, and and it's got it's it's not so much what's in it for me. It's it's I want it to be holistic. I want it to be rewarding. And listen, not everyone knows that the, not everyone's job has to be their love of their life, right? But it has to have purpose. And I think that's becoming more defined, you know, as as time goes on. And and it's just it's just something I see. I'm I'm on the front line. I mean, listen, I talk to candidates multiple times a day. I hear it from them, and people right. want to believe. They want to believe in the company that they don't have to love them every day, but. You know, they want to believe that the cause is right in the direction. But look at you. You're a great example of someone who realized that where you were before wasn't necessarily the right fit. And what you were trying to do is find that role, experience, interest, whatever it is that let you be your whole self. Just running a company wasn't the only thing that you were doing, right? You did this podcast and this reflects this whole other side of you. But those two inevitably go together. Yeah, you have to you have to find your mixture. So let, let let's bring it home here. What is what does the word authentic mean to you? I get I get that vibe from you. What is what does the word authentic mean? Really reflecting your whole self, whatever those different dimensions are. We're just multifaceted and multidimensional, and being able to share who you truly are—not this facade, but stating. And to some degree, being able to stand in a matter of fact way, this is who I am and sharing that with the world, not what people want to hear. What keeps you up at night? What's scaring you right now in life? Uh, probably being able to continually help bridge the gap between generations and people within oneself. I mean, it keeps me up at night, but it gets me excited at the same time because I want to be able to be a force for good in the world and provide a perspective that helps people understand what might be going on with them, the challenges that they face, um, something that can give them clarity and peace of mind that they're not necessarily off track. It's just a matter of getting knowledge to help them create the right path. Well said, well said. And what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've received that you take action on every single day of your life? I'd say reframe your mindset to appreciate the small wins because it shows that you're making progress. I firmly believe in that. I don't think people celebrate the small wins enough. They're no. only thinking of the big ones, the big audacious goals. I think everybody has a tendency to do that because that is so tangible. So when people are like, how are you doing? How are you doing? Right. And they want the big, big win. And that doesn't happen all the time. Right. What if I'm like, I found my lost shoe in the closet today. My favorite <laughs> sneaker. I thought I lost it forever. Well, look, anything that we do. It takes all these little steps to get there. 
we could have never achieved. I mean, look at the business that you have. Uh, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's it's one win at a time. It's this feeling. Micro I think wins. one one person said to me on my podcast it was um, the success that she had. She didn't realize it, but it was a feeling that she had to she was new that she knew she was on the right path. And this is the world's youngest lymphedema mm, yes. researcher, but she goes she was seventeen. Uh, when she kind of started finding the traction, but she started this whole process when she was eight. So when you're eight years wow. old, like, how would I mean, you know what success is? You don't have hard, fast metrics of anything, but she just had this feeling that whenever she was doing something, it was what she was meant to do. Yeah, that's that's really incredible. And Connie, last but not least, you know, you look back on, on your life, your career, and you think about those tough moments when you've had to pull yourself up, right? And 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 harness that inner tenacity, that word that means so much to you, so much to me, and, and really what this show is about. And and pull yourself up and pull yourself forward through those tough times or the ambiguity of not knowing, you know, where this business was going to go. Did you make that right decision and go in the right direction? Connie, what keeps you focused? What is your focal point on how you keep yourself moving forward? Connie Steele, what is your North Star in life? My North Star really is about bridging the gaps that exist too often among today's workforce and within oneself. It is if I can help cross that chasm, um, it's what I had talked about before. It's what keeps me up at night, but it's also that North Star. If I can do that because I look at being able to share this insight is what I could do for my kids. You know, I want them to be successful. I want to give them a greater context of the stuff that I had absolutely no clue of, not a clue. So a lot of us actually don't do the hard work on ourselves to figure out why we're feeling the way that we're feeling and why no, there's so much work. anxiety in our personal and professional life. So if there's a way that I can help in that way, to me, that's fulfilling. That's success. That's me. Love it. I love it. I love it. Connie Steele. Connie Steele, everybody. This has been a powerhouse show. I think we might have to do a live one later this year and dig into some of the, maybe we'll do like a live show. We'll dig into the book specifics and we'll bring some callers to. in. I think that'll be a good time. Connie, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Hang with me a moment here. I want everyone to check out her new book, Building the Business of You. You could find it, I'm assuming, on Amazon. Amazon, Barnes sure, & Noah, pretty much everywhere. Anywhere where five books are sold. And please be sure to check out her podcast, Strategic Momentum Podcast. I'll link it up in the comments, but I'm sure you can find that on all major platforms. Connie, again, thank you so much for joining me. And to everyone listening, remember, if you get value from this episode, share it. Sharing means caring. Leave a review or rating. It goes a long way. You know where to find us on all the social media channels at thepodcast.com. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.